So those are some thanks that are sitting with me this morning. You know, I couldn't quite figure out the right title for this platform. Originally, I had it written as thanks a lot. And um, and then Bailey, our course director, who isn't here today, saw it printed and um, said she thought I meant it sarcastically. <laughs> like, yeah, thanks a lot. Which apparently is how it's used um, more frequently. And that's not what I meant, actually. <laughs> And then I thought about thank you. You know, that's nice. It's kind of formal. Thank you. But, um, but here that sort of can bring up the problem of who we're thanking in a metaphysical sense. And that wasn't exactly where I needed people to go, at least just looking at the title. So I ended up with just thanks, sort of the casual version, but hopefully not sarcastic, and then Bailey again, actually apparently who had a lot of opinions about the title of this platform, <laughs> Bailey pointed out that because of the way we list platforms without punctuation, it looked in some of the listings as though the title of the platform was, thanks, Amanda Poppy. <laughs> now, I like receiving gratitude as much as the next person, but I was looking for something a little more outward focused. So don't think that that was the title either. It's all to say that Giving thanks, saying thanks, is not always as straightforward as it might appear. There's been a lot of research in the last few years, and really even longer than that, on practices of gratitude. A couple of years ago, actually, we offered a course here that was led by um, Joan Johnson Lewis, the leader of our sister society in Northern Virginia, about gratitude practices. And, um, and, and folks engaged in many of the practices that the research has, has been done around, practices like keeping a gratitude journal or doing lists of things that we're grateful for, writing letters of gratitude to individuals who have made a difference, gratitude meditations. There's so many of those. You just Google gratitude meditation, and you'll get lists and lists of different meditations. All of these experiences that might kind of induce a sense of gratitude in us. And the research has really borne out that, you know, that, that practices of gratitude, practices that affirm our experience of gratitude do increase our well-being or our sense of well-being in the world, that it helps to shift our perspective at times. And so there's a, there's a real beauty around those practices. And I think in some ways it's one of the sort of spiritual practices that also has an ethical component that really ties in to who we are and who we want to be and act, how we want to act in the world. There was a study with four different authors um, from the Psychological Bulletin. I won't list them all, but... um, But in that study, they actually propose, as they say, quote, that gratitude typically results from and stimulates moral behavior. That is, behavior that is motivated out of concern for another person. And so more and more of the studies now seem to show the way that feeling gratitude comes out of that sense of morality and fosters a sense of morality, or fosters what's sometimes called pro-social behavior, you know, behavior that connects us to each other in positive ways behavior that comes from a sense of empathy. But as I said, it's not always that simple 
<clears throat> to show gratitude, a, a few weeks ago, I, I cited a study that um, that showed that if you do gratitude the wrong way, um, it actually decreases your sense of well-being. You can get too worried about whether you're being grateful for the right things. <clears throat> and so then ultimately that becomes uh, counterproductive. And I think, too, we have hang-ups sometimes around gratitude, sometimes around the idea of of gratitude and indebtedness. Do you know what I mean? It comes from that, <clears throat> excuse me, from that voice in our head, perhaps, that we heard as a child, you know, you should be more grateful. You should be more grateful for this food I've put on your plate or the clothes that I buy you, whatever it is. You should be more grateful. It turns out that um, people in general, and perhaps especially folks that find themselves in an ethical society, don't do so well with the should-be kind, uh, kind of thing. So, so I think that gets stuck for us as well, the, the difference between what it means to be grateful with kind of an open heart and to feel as though we ought to be, you know, as though there's um, some, some indebtedness linked in there. I think that this may be because we aren't thinking quite big enough when we think about gratitude. When I've done <clears throat> gratitude lists myself, I often start with the things most immediately in my life. And you may have done the same during our meditation this morning as you're identifying something to be grateful for. So I start with my family, you know, and something that happened to me today that was that was really nice for me and I was glad that it had worked out that way or I, you know, my Starbucks was done correctly by the barista. It's possible that kind of gratitude is just a little bit self-centered. It's accessible to me really only while a sense of luck continues, you know, that the things that I've named in my life as important or, or positive continue along that vein. I think that there's a deeper way to look at gratitude, a way that connects us more strongly with the world around us. And I wonder if it can help us to get out of that sense of gratitude as a you should or a you ought. Galen Gingrich, a Unitarian Universalist minister who writes on ethics and religion in the modern sphere, talks about gratitude and the practice of gratitude for liberal religious folks. He writes, Why gratitude? Two dimensions of gratitude make it fitting as our defining religious practice. One has to do with a discipline of gratitude, and the other has to do with an ethic of gratitude. He's kind of a high-level thinker, so you have to, so there's the discipline and the ethic, two different kinds. He goes on, the discipline of gratitude reminds us how utterly dependent we are on the people and world around us for everything that matters. The discipline of feeling gratitude. From this and this is the part I really like, flows an ethic of gratitude that obligates us to create a future that justifies an increasing sense of gratitude from the human family as a whole. The ethic of gratitude demands that we nurture the world that nurtures us in return.
I think what Galen Gingrich is talking about there is a kind of virtuous cycle. You know, we think about vicious cycles, the kind of cycles we try to avoid, but there are virtuous cycles too, the ones that feed on each other in a way to increase our own well-being, but even more the well-being of the whole human family, the well-being of the world. Henry Nouwen, a Christian writer, notes in his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, talks about gratitude as well, and he says, gratitude goes beyond the mine and thine and claims the truth that all of life is a pure gift. In the past, I always thought of gratitude as a spontaneous response to the awareness of gifts received, but now I realize that gratitude can also be lived as a discipline. The discipline, now one writes, of gratitude is the explicit effort to acknowledge that all I am and have is given to me as a gift of love, a gift to be celebrated with joy. I think both Gingrich and Nowen are getting to a sense of gratitude as really being about interconnection about the way that we are so deeply connected to each other in this room, in this city, all around the world. There's actually a concept that gets to that within gratitude studies. There was one study I ran across that had um, four elements of gratitude and, and sort of ways that you could, um, could characterize or quantify gratitude, uh, experiences of gratitude. And one of them was the idea of density of gratitude. Isn't that interesting? Density. It's, it's how many people you are thanking for a certain experience. How many people you imagine or know to have contributed to that experience, your density of gratitude. And it's one of the things that increases your intensity of experience if there's density of gratitude in a particular outcome or experience for which you're grateful. Now, of course, when we get into the really big stuff, you know, the, the sunsets and the sunrises, the stuff that goes beyond even the densest imagining of people that we might be grateful to. We do run into that tricky question for those of us in ethical societies and liberal religion and humanist communities in general. Who exactly are we thanking for the sunset? You know, to whom do we direct our gratitude? That question for me gets a little bit to the idea of grace. You know, grace, it's sort of a a tricky concept. I took a whole class on grace when I was in seminary a number of years ago, and we went around the room and talked about how we understood grace, and most of the folks in the room had... um, uh, it was a Methodist seminary, so many of them had really defined understandings of grace. The Methodists are fabulous with their definitions, and so they said exactly what grace is. And I remember saying it was something like sun, I thought, like sunshine maybe, or flowers was grace. But I've come up with a, a definition of grace I've shared before, and you might, you might have heard me say it. My best understanding of grace of sort of the beauty that comes into your life unexpectedly, you know, or the goodness that you didn't think was there that was waiting for you to notice it. My best definition is, um, you know, when you're walking along a sidewalk and, uh, and you're looking down and you see all of a sudden that the sidewalk is sparkling. Have you ever noticed that? 
You look down and there are flecks of almost gold in the sidewalk. The sidewalk is shimmering and sparkling. And there in the midst of your day, in the midst of going about your business, perhaps in the midst even of having a bad day, the kind of day that has you looking down at the sidewalk, you see that it is shimmering back at you. A while ago, I was, um, I was sharing that image with a, a Unitarian Universalist congregation. And, you know, Unitarian Universalists and ethical culturists have plenty of differences, but there are some things that are similar about them as well. And so you may recognize the experience that I had afterward, after I was uh, outside, you know, greeting people, and, and folks were coming up and saying lovely things about what they had appreciated about my talk. And uh, one, uh, one man came up to me and said... Um, Feldspar. <laughs> oh, someone knows. And I kind of put on my, um, my smile, which is like, oh, thank you for that. I appreciate your, re- I'm so glad it touched you in that way. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, no, Feldspar. Feldspar, I'm a geologist. <laughs> Feldspar is the name of what sparkles in the sidewalk. <laughs> It's not grace, actually. <laughs> it's feldspar. And he went on to say that there were a number of other minerals that sparkle as well, but they can't be mixed with cement because they will degrade the cement over time, so they probably wouldn't be in the sidewalk. So he really thought it was probably feldspar. <clears throat> so if the concept of grace is an itchy one, for you to engage with, I invite you to think instead about feldspar. (laughs) This is a moment of feldspar, you might think to yourself, because the truth is, I don't care if it's feldspar. It's just fine that somebody mixed feldspar in with the cement. The sidewalk still sparkles when I look at it. It still makes me happy, that moment of feldspar. That's the thing about grace for me, translate feldspar, the thing about grace is that it's sort of available to you, you know, all the time to notice. And it doesn't matter if it's given by others, if it's mixed into the cement with intentionality or not. It's just right there for you to experience, to be grateful for. In fact, sometimes I think it's even more wonderful when it's mixed in by someone. I don't imagine that the people that put feldspar in cement did it solely so that the sidewalk would sparkle and and make me happy, or anyone else happy for that matter. But some things are planted or, or sown or mixed in really just for that reason. I think about our story this morning with Miss Rumphius spreading her lupin seeds everywhere. I love the flowers on the side of highways. You know, when you go along and there's a whole series there, just, just beautiful, planted by someone so that it looked beautiful when you drove along the road. I had a friend who posted on Facebook earlier this week his appreciation that somewhere, someone in the highway transit system had decided that the easy pass sign should include thank you when you go through. You know, they could have just said completed or accepted 
when your easy pass, you know, uh, gets the signal there. But instead, somebody thought it should say thank you. And he appreciated it that day. I put a, a post on Facebook last night, actually, um, asking what things people were grateful for that they hadn't seen the creation of. Things like feldspar. And I got a wonderful list, and I want to share them with you. Museums of art, laughter, wooded trails, hot cocoa at every truck stop, exclamation point, frozen prepared foods. I thought that was a fabulous one. I'm very grateful for frozen prepared foods. Baby smiles, rainbows, sunsets, glasses of wine, musicals, Tim Tams. I had to look that up. It's a cookie, I think, right? Tim Tams. Soft, excellent. Yes, we're grateful. Soft doggy ears, colors of the desert, lotus flowers, seashore mallow, bluebirds at my feeder, green tea with honey. Opening my eyes, someone wrote. Opening my eyes. I love Facebook for gratitude hits, actually. You know, cat pictures are fun, but for me, the best thing about Facebook is the opportunity to see the variety of human ingenuity and love and care out there in the world. Just in the last week, I've seen the story of a mother who designed a special harness that kind of looks like a baby Bjorn um, that attaches to her legs so that her toddler, who has um, cerebral palsy, can go into the harness, the little baby Bjorn, and use the power of the mother's legs to walk. Isn't that a great one? I saw a picture of one of our own Sunday school children who was featured on a Wider Circles website and their Facebook page because she shares part of her allowance every week with another organization. And uh, she was their featured person of the week. Not only does she share her allowance, but she started a volunteer job with them as well. Wider Circle works on innovative solutions to poverty in the Silver Spring area. I saw a post this week from my colleague in Michigan who decided that she won't sign marriage licenses there until the ones that she signed for dozens of same-sex couples one day a few weeks ago are valid. You might have heard about that one day in Michigan when it was uh, when marriage equality was the law of the state, and um, colleagues, ministers, and rabbis came from all over and set up huge tables so that people could come and get married on that day. And then people brought cake and cupcakes. Someone came and played the flute so that people could have music at their weddings. And then, heaven help me, I clicked on one of those BuzzFeed lists of photos that will restore your faith in humanity. (laughs) That's actually really dangerous for me. Every once in a while, I I click on one in the middle of the day when I'm sitting at my desk, and then someone calls me on the phone, and I have to kind of sniffle through the entire first part of the conversation. You know those ones, they've got pictures of like, Oh, the pride parade bystanders who had big signs saying, I'm sorry that the church rejected you. And then the next picture is a very scantily clad pride parade participant hugging them. There was the high school track runner who stopped to help her injured opponent make it across the finish line. 
you've seen those pictures too or you've heard those stories. There's so much wrong in the world. There's so much pain. Lost children and wars. And sometimes things feel so bad we can just hardly stand it. In those times, naming gratitude, what we're grateful for, can feel like an impossibility, like an act of insanity, maybe like an act of grace itself. That's where I return, I think, to the way that gratitude as a spiritual practice, as a discipline, is connected with our moral selves with our ethical frameworks for the world, how we want to act. What does it mean, I wonder, for us to embody the value of gratitude when we don't see the result of our own embodiment? Grace, Feldspar, everybody's okay, right? Feldspar. It may be our experience of gratitude when we don't always see the forces that come together to create that moment, that sunset. You know, we talk about an experience of grace and the receiving of beauty and wonder and joy all around us. But I wonder if there's an element of grace in giving when we won't see the results, too. When we're like Miss Rumphy is throwing seeds with wild abandon and wondering if lupins will come up. I have a friend who told me a story about her husband planting bulbs one fall. Her husband was dying and knew he would not live to see the spring. And I remember when I heard that story, I think I thought of it at the time as a story of hope, but it's not really. You know, that, that man didn't have hope of seeing the bulbs flower. It wasn't a gesture of hope, but a gesture of gratitude. A gesture that, that signaled the sense of interconnection so deeply. The idea of gratitude for the world and then giving with wild abandon back to it. Embodying that gratitude in ways that we have no hope of seeing. A sense of interconnection to the world beyond us that comes after us that exists around us. John F. Kennedy said, as we express our gratitude, we must never forget that the highest appreciation is not to utter words, but to live by them. I think about that with memorial services sometime, especially ethical culture memorial services, where we talk so much about how how wonderful it is to remember the person, how important it is to tell those stories, but how part of what we are called to do in that moment is to live the person's values out in the world. You know, that the way that we remember people most deeply, the way we honor them most deeply, 
is to have what they lived come true. All the ways that we might embody that sense of connection that is at the heart of gratitude, particularly gratitude for the biggest things in life. I can't finish speaking about gratitude without mentioning the community dinner last night. It's our annual event, which is fun, yes, but much more is about commitment to Wes, commitment to each other. And so, of course, I have gratitude for everyone who's made their financial commitment to Wes this year. But much more deeply, gratitude for all of those who have come before, who gave to what they loved and what they imagined might be, what they didn't see yet, you know, which is what all of us, any of us, are doing when we give out to the world. We're giving to a hope or a wish an imagination, a dream to, to lupins that might bloom in the spring that we might be there to see, giving to what we hope to create together. There's a poem I'd like to close with from W.S. Merwin. It speaks, I think, to many of the things that we say thank you for but it especially speaks to what it means to say thank you in the midst of fear and worry, all of the pain in the world. But before I share that poem with you, I want to to leave you with a hope, with a little charge maybe, that each of you will find a way to say thanks today, maybe even before you leave this building. Could be thanks to a person it can't be me. I'm disqualifying myself. I'm, I'm too easy a target having just told you to do this. But it could be thanks for someone else in this room or to our teachers downstairs with the children or to the children themselves or maybe a silent thanks to the world or to the rain, to your ancestors. Try to find something, someone, and just say thanks. And now the poem. Listen, with the night falling, we are saying thank you. We are stopping on the bridge to bow from the railings. We are running out of the glass rooms with our mouths full of food to look at the sky and say thank you. We are standing by the water, looking out in different directions, back from a series of hospitals, back from a mugging. After funerals, we are saying thank you. After the news of the dead, whether or not we knew them, we are saying thank you. In a culture up to its chin in shame, living in the stench it has chosen, we are saying thank you. Over the telephones, we are saying thank you in doorways and in the backs of cars and in elevators, remembering wars and the police at the back door and the beatings on the stairs, we are saying thank you. In the banks that use us, we are saying thank you. With the crooks in office, with the rich and fashionable unchanged, we go on saying thank you, thank you. 
With the animals dying around us, our lost feelings, we are saying thank you. With the forests falling faster than the minutes of our lives, we are saying thank you. We are saying thank you faster and faster. We are saying thank you and waving, dark though it is. Thank you.